Fundraising can be one of the most stressful parts of ministry. How do we get off the treadmill of crisis-driven fundraising to more sustainable ministry funding? Well, hello, this is the God Story Podcast, and I'm Brent Siddle. Our very special guest on the show this time is one of the most experienced ministry fundraisers in the business. He is Brad Leyland, and he's just published a new book with IVP America called Turning Donors into Partners, Principles for Fundraising You'll Actually Enjoy as opposed to fundraising you don't enjoy, and most of us, I suspect, don't really enjoy fundraising. Brad is the, I'm speaking for myself, Brad is the CEO of the Focus Group, which provides fundraising counsel to non-profit organizations in major donor development, strategic planning, and capital campaigns. He's also the founder and owner of Endless Summer Reality, the largest residential real estate brokerage in St. Augustine, Florida. Brad has also run, this for New Zealand audiences, take note, Brad has also run 50 marathons and completed two Ironman triathlons. Goodness gracious, Brad. Hi, welcome from the States. Hi, welcome. Thank you. It's so fun to be with you today. Oh, it's great. And talk about things I love, fundraising. If we talk about fundraising, real estate, and running, it's my three loves other than Jesus and my family. So there you go. Well, I've got to say that Endless Summer Reality is a, is a great title for a residential real estate company. Well, thank you. I uh, Endless Summer Realty is, um, you know, it's St. Augustine. People love to surf. There's the, uh, you know, this concept of the beautiful weather in Florida. So when I had to name my company, that was a domain that was available. Endless Summer Realty was available. So I was like, oh, that's a perfect name. So I, I did think it. I, is it Realty? I think I might have read it as Reality in my intro, so yes. I can change that. Anyway, you did. If you heard Reality, oh, folks, sure. if you heard reality folks, it's meant to be Realty. Anyway, now, Brad, why do you write that fundraising is a bit like running marathons? Yeah, great question. Um, especially, well, fundraising is, is like running marathons primarily because there's a principle that I teach. It's that proper planning uh, minimizes costs and maximizes results. Like, and so uh, running a marathon, it's a distance you can't run unless you train. You can run a 5K, a 10K. You can even run a half marathon having never really trained. But a marathon distance, you can't. And so fundraising done right, you, you put plans in place and then you follow the plan and it works and you have all the funding you need and you don't hate fundraising. But when you when you don't train for a marathon or you don't do fundraising with proper planning, it's really painful. Uh, it's painful to watch, painful to participate in. It's painful to be the donor when somebody's coming to you in crisis. And so that's the primary reason I compare the two. You had an interesting start in fundraising, didn't you? How did, how did you actually get started in fundraising? Yeah, so my story is I was in college and I was a repo man for two companies. I went to the University of Florida and I actually had three things going on. I owned my own business, which was a gumball machine business. I had about 100 gumball machines all around the college campus. And then I also was a repo man for two companies. I repossessed musical equipment and cable boxes. You would have been Involved. popular. Yeah, you would have been popular. so fun. A horrible it's job. so fun. Yeah, here's some gum, but can I have your, your cable box, please? So I was doing that. I was also a volunteer with a ministry called Young Life. And my Young Life staff person said, hey, why are you know, you're working so hard around the edges and you don't have time to work with kids much? Why don't you just raise some money? And so I said, you can do that. And he said, sure. And so I, I did what he told me to do, sort of, which was send letters to people I knew. 
And I don't know if you've ever gotten those kind of letters from people who are going on mission trips or whatever, but I sent out letters and then nothing happened really. And so I just was convinced I wasn't called to be in ministry. And um, he said, my, my young life staff person said, you know, well, Brad, you know, instead of just sending out letters, what if you actually called people and talked to them? And, and so then I did. And I just, I met with three people. I needed $5,000. And the first person gave me 2,500. The second person gave me about half of what I needed. And the, the third person gave me the rest. And um, what's fun about those three people is I was on full-time staff with Young Life for 20 years. And those three people that supported my, that, that was very first donors, they were my partners with me for the entire time I was on staff. Mm. And one of them uh, gave almost a million dollars to the work I was doing. And so this idea of them being partners is just real. So that's how I got started. I didn't mean to. Yeah, well, that's a great story and really leads on to my next question, which you've started to answer. And I think probably I've already answered quite a bit. Of, to what extent then is fundraising about developing relationships? Well, fundraising is all about relationships, but, you know, people give to people like that's the fundraising principle that if you only get one thing from this call, from this uh, podcast, it's that fundraising is all about relationships, it's about people. And so I like to talk about, um, you know, I got my master's of theology from Fuller Seminary and the class that I was least excited about taking was a class called systematic theology. Right. I was really excited about taking the class called Theology and Film. Like that sounded fun. Watch movies and talk about the God theme. Like so cool. But systematic theology, could it possibly be more boring is what I thought. But in systematic theology, we discuss the concept that God at its core, God at his core is a relational being. God only exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the very essence of God is relationships. And so if if God's very essence is relationship, then when our fundraising follows the essence of God, it works. And so when we treat our donors like ATM machines and send them mailings or, or send them things in the mail um, or invite them to a dinner at a hotel where we're trying to just get them to give at an event, like that's not relational centered fundraising. It's fine to have those things as a part of a larger strategy, but good fundraising, it's all about relationships. And when it's done that way, it's fun and enjoyable. And when it's not, it feels icky. And I have six principles I teach. Honestly, if I, Brent, if I taught a seventh principle of fundraising, it would be this. If it feels icky, don't do it. Like if it doesn't feel right, stop. You know, like listen to that thing in you that says, I don't want to do this. Well, don't, you know. So anyways, that's what fundraising is all about, relationships. Yeah, and, and I guess trust is vitally important in uh, in relationships, particularly yeah. with fundraisers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if they don't trust you, they ain't going to give to you. Right. How we let's get cut to the to the, uh, the the chase with this. How do we go about asking people for donations? Well, with a ton of respect and time, I mean, my, um, I, you know, I, I think about, gosh, I've asked so many people for money over the years and I've done it well. And of course, I've done it wrong. Right. And I've not been effective. So most of the way that people ask for money is they ask in the way that they see everybody else asking. Like, you know, I, 
I tell a story in my book about it's a skit that most people probably haven't seen, but it's really funny. And it's um, it's a skit where you get three people to come up out of the crowd and you send two of them out of the room. And the first one you say to the person who's in the room, hey, when the next person comes back in the room, I, we want you to pretend to be washing an elephant. Right. And that person is going to have to do what they see you doing, but they won't know what you're doing. And so this first person starts, you know, standing on a chair and scrubbing the top and then scrubbing the trunk and underneath the second person's just watching. And so then you say to the second person, hey, we need to have you show the third person what you just saw. And then they do it, and it's ridiculous what they're doing. It, it's so unconnected to watching an elephant. And then you say to the third person, what what were they doing? And they never get it right. And that's, that's what we see. That's what I see most in fundraising is people just doing what everybody else does. Like I have a podcast as well, and it's the Taking Donors Seriously podcast. And on this, the, the episode I just did, you can find it on iTunes. Um, I did it on year-end appeals. And what I did is I did an evaluation of all the end-of-the-year appeals that I got at the end of 2021. I saved them all in a box. I got about 60 letters, and I just evaluated them. And they're horrible. The majority of them are horrible. Now, some of them are really good, but probably 50 out of the 60 are just people doing what they saw everybody else doing. And I know you said to me, how do you ask for money? And what I'm answering is how... What I see most people do is they just do what everybody else is doing, which is send a year and appeal. And, and that's not a good strategy for all your donors, right? The best way to ask for money is to consider people's commitment to you or your organization and their ability to give and their demonstrated generosity and then to pursue them appropriately based on those sort of attributes. Like if, if you have a person who has like helped start your start your ministry or start like an elder of a church, right? And they maybe they were a founding family. So you know they're super connected. And then you know they have a lot of capacity because they've given you large gifts and they've given other people large gifts. So they're connected to you well. They have the capacity to give. They've given you money. You're friends with them. Like, why would you invite them to an event? Why would you send them an end-of-the-year appeal? Why wouldn't you sit down with them over coffee and say, we are so excited about what our ministry or our church is doing. Would you be a partner with us? And then show them a plan of how you would use their money and the outcomes. So you ask for money relationally, right? That's how you do it. But unfortunately, most people, they, they start with, well, I need to raise money, so let's have an event, right? Or I need to raise money, so let's do a mailing. And you shouldn't start with the you shouldn't start with the what you do. You should start with who you should talk to, right? And then who are you in a relationship with? Is it important for people to feel involved and to have a real sense of ownership? Yes, you know that's one of my principles, Brent. So um, pe people give when they're involved and have a sense of ownership. Um, so just for you, just because it's fun to have a two-way conversation, what are some organizations that you're involved with, Brent? Oh, okay. You're going to interview me. Oh, that's fun. Well, um, at the moment, I'm all involved with uh, probably a couple of churches. Okay. Podcast. So your church, right? Yep. And uh, so you're involved in a couple of churches. And yep. um, and uh, do you, no, I I know that for sure that if you're involved in the church, part of that is going to worship, right? Yep. Do you 
is there something that you do to volunteer at any at your church like is there a role that you sometimes do at your church uh not at the moment apart from producing a podcast but right, I've, okay so I've, I've done all sorts the- of things i've done all sorts of things in churches brother from cleaning the toilets to uh, helping lead worship to you name it <laughs> yeah so helping to lead worship right like like if that's a great example or cleaning the bathrooms right like for me at my church my wife and i like it's Christmas this week, and on the 24th, I am going to serve in the nursery, right? There's, that's the day that there's a I don't normally serve in the nursery, but that's the day a lot of people come. You know, you build your churches for Christmas Eve, right? So, uh, and Easter. So, I'm going to serve in the nursery on Christmas Eve. And so, it's a great example. Are you leading worship is a great example of you being involved. And so, we think that donors, well, they give money, they don't want to be involved. Well, actually, if you involve people in the work of your organization as volunteers or in your decision-making, they'll own it more. And so we, you know, we really want to encourage our, our um, clients and our friends who in fundraising to involve people. And it could just be asking your opinion, you know, like, like you, you, like, for example, if you used to lead worship, you could imagine the current worship leader called you and said, you know, I'm really trying to revamp worship and make it more amazing. And I know you used to help. What suggestion might you have? Like, how amazing would that be? You know, I would fall. I would fall off my chair. Fall off my chair, brother. It almost never happens. No one ever asked my opinion about anything. Uh, well, I'm ask. I'm asking now. So even, you know, even, even when I was in full time ministry, no one ever asked my opinion about anything. No, that's not. That's not totally true. They did. Um, that was fun, uh, you interviewing me. I enjoyed that. How, how do we create long-term relationships in funding? We've, we have our donors, but how do we turn those donors into long-term partners? And I guess from reading your book, Friends, because you, you say that it's important to be friends with your donors too, don't you? Yeah, I mean, we really want to develop genuine relationships with people. That, um, But it's it's a little bit weird because like you, if you're a ministry leader, then you really do want friendships, but you, you, you're you investing in their world and they're investing in your world and your world includes this ministry or this church that you're leading. So it, you're, pro- they're gonna, you're gonna probably, if you're building a friendship, you're gonna know a little bit more about their world and, and then they're gonna know a little less about your personal world, but then know a little bit, a lot more about your ministry or whatever. And so it's a, but it's not like if like I have all these people that I used to raise money with and they're still my friends. Right. And I know about their kids and 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 they know about mine. Right. We, and, but so it's a genuine relationship. But at the same time, you represent the ministry as well. So it's it's a fun it's a fun, genuine friendship. But my wife, um, the, the title of the book that you're referring to is Turning Donors into Partners. My wife, before InterVarsity Press got involved, wanted us to name it. Uh, the F word, which is a reference to um, obviously fundraising, not a different F word that someone might think. But most people hate fundraising because they've done it wrong. You know, like most people have been told, hey, will you help raise money? And then they do the equivalent of sending the letters. It doesn't work. Or maybe they call up their friends one night and say to their friends, hey, will you give money to the fill in the blank? And it just feels awful, right? And so people think of fundraising as so unenjoyable. But when you think about it as 
you're inviting people to partner with you in these outcomes. Like you have resources, we have an opportunity, we connect the resources of the donor with the opportunity of the ministry and something beautiful happens. Lives are changed, right? Like incredible outcomes occur. Um, there's a movie in the U.S., um, but but it's so old that I don't know if anybody's seen it, but it was called Schindler's List. Oh, of course, and, yes. Yeah. Fabulous so, movie, yep. Yeah, and so towards the end of the movie, you know, the main character is, he, he's standing by his car and there's all these people that are thanking him. And he has this moment and he's like, but I could have done so much more. I could have sold this car. I could have sold this watch. Like I could have used my resources to change more lives. Right. He, he is the, he's sort of the donor. Right. And there's the opportunity that people want. And that's what we give partners. We give them the opportunity to turn their resources into things that matter. Right that are lasting forever and eternity. So there's a partnership, but there's a responsibility. So if it's a transaction, then you ask the donor for money and then nothing happens. But they become partners and friends for a lifetime if you ask a person for money and then you report back the outcomes of their money and then you show them how their money turned into lives being changed and then you invite them to continue and then 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 it's a real it's an ongoing relationship of transformation and it's transformation in the life of the donor and it's transformation in the life of the person right so mm. it's it's so fun yeah and so important to meet with donors face to face obviously well yes but zoom is fine and um phone calls are fine it's it's important to meet with donors as relationally as you can and if you are like if you are in New Zealand and you are my friend, which we are friends now, and I asked you for support for, um, I couldn't easily get to see you, right? I've only been to New Zealand once. So, um, we have Zoom. So there, right. So mm -hmm. I could, but I could have this kind of a conversation with you. And, you know, I could even arrange to bring another friend over to tell you like stuff. So you could even have a tour, you know, like, yes. so we could do a lot. Beautiful. Yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. How, how do you deal with rejection from possible donors? You know, the person who says no to you. Yeah. Well, I feel like I want to die. So, <laughs> I mean, isn't it hard, right? It's so difficult. Like no is so hard. Depends um, how often they say no, I suppose, doesn't it? It depends how often they say no. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I work, so hard to to uh as i like i'm I, I still raise money i do it professionally i teach lots of amazing ministries in fact we have a client in new zealand the focus group has a new zealand client um langham partnerships john stott's ministry is um has a they have country entities and mm -hmm. the country entity in new zealand is one of our clients through really it's it's really through the global um langham movement but it's been fun um and then work with a few groups in Australia, your neighbor. And, uh, but, you know, the, the idea of, you know, what we need to do with no is we have to understand the context of the no. And we need to not be intimidated by the no. If, if you've followed the process of fundraising that I teach, it's in the book, you know, these four steps that you do before you ever get to an ask. And if you follow the steps and the donor's been like, yes, let's keep talking. Yes, I'm interested. And then you get to the no 
and they say no, there's a reason and you just, everything in me wants to crawl under my desk and die or just slowly walk out the back door and pretend I was never there, right? That's what I wanna do. But what I've learned is if I stay at the table and I say, oh my gosh, well, thank you so much for meeting with me. You've seemed really interested and and then now it doesn't seem like you're able to support. Could you say more about why you're unable? Was there something I didn't explain or is there something going on? And usually there's either a question that was unanswered or there's something going on in their life that's like a kid in college um, or a, a loved one who's lost their job, you know? And if you just listen, usually it leads to a gift. I better ask you before this interview, I won't get you to go through all the principles because um, if you're listening, you need to buy the book to, to go through. <laughs> uh, but what is the focus group? You're the CEO of the focus group. You better tell us what the focus group is. And if you did want to read more about the book, you could go to Amazon or turningdonorsintopartners.com. Yes, so, or, look or, at link, or, or look at the link underneath this podcast because we will have the link for you. Yep. There you go. Um, but uh, the focus group, we serve, we're, uh, we're a because the mission of the focus group is to build the kingdom of God. You're helping our, our partners, our clients have the funds they need to fulfill their mission. And so we help about a hundred ministries uh, around the world, uh, mostly in the U S but probably say 90, 90 of the hundred in the U S and are scattered around the world. And we help them with fundraising. And so it usually takes the form of major donor fundraising. So like, uh, our largest client is is the Jesus film, which I'm sure you've heard of. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like in, in Dallas Theological Seminary is another one of our really large clients. And, and, you know, they're in the $200 million range that we're helping them raise $200 million, right? And then all the way down to, you know, helping a small Christian school raise $2 million so they can move out of rented space into their very first building, right? And so those are our 100 clients. And then simultaneously, that's sort of, the, that's what we do as a consulting team. So there's about 30 of us on staff that do that, that work with those ministries. But then we have a training component, um, which is what my book is really based on. And it's, it's my vision and it's our vision to serve lots of people who need to raise money, but they need $50,000 or they need a hundred thousand. They can't afford to hire a consultant. So we've developed this training program that, you know, where we walk alongside them and, you know, my book has all the answers, but a lot of times people need the answers plus a sort of consultant or coach to kind of help them do it. So um, we do that for uh, several hundred people as well each year. So okay. that's what the focus group is. Wonderful. Where do people find you? How can people get in contact with you if they're listening to this podcast and need your services? How do they? It's pretty you? simple. It's just the focusgroup.com. Very good. And so, I'll, put, I'll put the link on the underneath the podcast listing. Before you go, I've got to ask you this question. 50 marathons. What was the marathon that gave you the greatest satisfaction, do you think? Mm. Or do you even remember? No, I remember. I mean, the, the, it's the first and the last, right? So my first marathon was the Disney Marathon. And that was when I was, uh, you know, I was 20. I was 29 years old and I weighed 50 pounds more than I do now. And, um, and so I ran it in five hours and 45 minutes, which any runner knows that's a horrible time, right? A lot of times marathons, they like have a six hour cutoff where if you're not done in six hours, they'd like kick you off the course. And so 
you know, that the kickoff truck was right behind me, you know, so, but it was so satisfying because I wasn't an athlete and I had never done anything like that in my life. And honestly, my wife got pregnant, you know, with our first son and I'm like, Hey, you're training to have a baby. Why don't I train to have run a marathon? You know, like, so that was super satisfying. But then my last one was, it was the, my 50th. My goal was to run 50 marathons before I turned 50. And, um, and I was 49, it was May. And I had trained for my second Ironman and my vision was that I would run my last marathon would be the, you know, after I biked 112 miles and swam 2.4 miles, then you run a marathon. And so my vision was my very last marathon. Well, I've run more marathons since, but that was last May. And so my vision was I'd run my last marathon would be at the end of an Ironman. And I thought, well, there's no way I could run slower than my first one, but it was a really hot day in Texas. And I ran a like six and a half hour marathon. So my first one was not my worst one. It was my last one as I got the 50. But um, but anyways, I love running. And um, it's a great time to be with the Lord and to think and, you know, be healthy. Thank you for letting me talk about running. Oh, I can see you're really passionate about it. And, and we'll strike a chord with, uh, with many New Zealand uh, listeners as well. Um, uh, yeah, I do want to give you one other free resource. Yep. Um, when will this post? When will this hit? When will uh, this go live? Probably not for another couple of months. Okay, great. Well, so at the Focus Group website, there's a um, a link where you can see the replay to our symposium. So once a year, our um, firm gathers uh, all the leaders of the organizations we serve, and then we have these speakers who are leaders of great ministries or major donors or just incredible theologians like Chris Wright from Langham Partnerships came mm-hmm. and spoke a couple years ago. And so on our website at thefocusgroup.com, there's a button that says the symposium replay. And you can log in and there's about 10 different um, breakout sessions and the keynote speakers. And anyone who's looking for more resources, they could totally go there and it's free. And it's just our desire. Like my greatest desire is to build God's kingdom. Money is easy. Right. The work that nonprofit leaders do is hard. But my vision and the focus group's vision is that we would help make help God make all things new. Like the world is not going to hell in a handbasket because there's this thing called the church. Right. And we together can refinish the work that Christ has done. Like we can do it. So um, I love building. I love helping. And so if people want that resource, it's free. And I suspect money is easy for you in a sense because you're so good at raising it. And that's the way God's gifted you, amongst many other things, including making you a good runner, long-distance runner. Just I'm slow and stubborn. So. <laughs> great, great. Well, you can achieve a lot. You can achieve a lot, brother, being slow and stubborn. Mm-hmm. You can. Yeah. Thank you very much, Brad Leyland, the CEO of the Focus Group, and uh, the book from IVP America is called "Turning Donors into Partners: Principles for Fundraising You'll Actually Enjoy, as opposed to Principles for Fundraising You Won't Enjoy." And uh, thanks to our creative team at Liquid Edge who sponsor us and uh, who take care of things behind the scenes. Brad, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you. Take care, Brad. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. If you want to help us make more great episodes like this one, you can head over to our Patreon page and become a God Story Podcast supporter. You'll receive our undying gratitude, plus a few bonus goodies for your ongoing support. Just visit patreon.com slash godstorypodcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash godstorypodcast. 
As always, you can get in touch with us via our website, godstorypodcast.com.